Good morning, Life Church. It is um, a great privilege to be here with you again uh, as we consider together the Word of God. I want to say teaching in this series is the most difficult kind of teaching for me to be part of a team of people and to learn to stay in my lane and not to talk about things that you've already heard about and not to talk about things that are yet to come on uh, upcoming Sundays is a distinct challenge for me, but everybody should learn to be a team player sometime. And uh, I actually asked Pastor Mike Rice out in Faith Covenant Farmington Hill for his notes and listened to him preach the same text knowing that I wasn't going to preach anything like what he was preaching. But at the same time, uh, just wanting to get it. And so it is a great gift because when it becomes harder for me to understand the Word of God and teach the Word of God, I dig deeper. And the Word of God is so rich, none of us have ever hit bottom on any one text yet. So I ended up being very edified and encouraged by all these limitations that uh, invited me to dig deeper. So today we're going to continue with the story of Esther and I want to set the table and talk about life from Mordecai's point of view. And I don't know why I titled that part Mordecai's Middle Earth, but such as it is, this was life uh, for Mordecai in the text that we are considering today, which if um, you were to read them would begin in the 19th verse of the second chapter of the book of Esther and go through the third chapter. Uh, so... Um, Mordecai is a resident in the most, what is probably the most powerful country in the world. Uh, he's subject to probably the most powerful man in the world. King Xerxes uh, is, has all kinds of power. He's really not much when it comes to character. He's good at eating and drinking and partying. And uh, he has an obsession with uh, women that is very shallow. And some of his personality carries over to our time and place as well. Let me just remind you that it's an awful thing to objectify women, to judge women on uh, outward appearance, how they uh, please men. Uh, it's, uh, it's treating human beings created in the image of God as if they're objects and as if they're property. And I have witnessed it in my own lifetime way too much. Uh, and... Uh, it's been going on for a long time, and it was going on certainly in the days of Esther, as has already been discussed. 
Uh, Mordecai is also quiet about his faith, and you might find a connect point with him there. He is really more than quiet about his faith. He hides his faith. He feels it's not to his advantage for people to know that he has a distinct history with God. And he instructs Esther, his adopted daughter, to do the same. Do not talk about your faith. Do not talk about God's history with our people. And that's how things stand as we enter into the middle of the story of Esther or the middle of Mordecai's story. The other thing I would say about Mordecai from what I can read in this book is the love of his life is his adopted daughter, Esther. Esther is the highest thing Mordecai knows at this point in the narrative. Uh, Evelyn and I have five children and nine grandchildren, and I have a granddaughter, Winnie, and I, I may have mentioned her before in some of our teaching, but the day she told me, well, Bobby, you have me in your heart, and I have you in my heart, was one of the happiest days of my life. And I believe Mordecai has Esther in his heart. You might not get him to talk about Yahweh, but you can get him to talk about Esther. Mordecai lives for Esther. And uh, she is the highest thing Mordecai knows as we enter into the middle of this story. Uh, moving on uh, to the next slide. Let's consider Mordecai in the middle of the story. I had to do it with the teaching too. I'm like, I'm in the middle of a teaching. I'm in the middle of a text. And every one of us here are in the middle of our own story. So much has happened before today who has made you the woman or the man that you are. And, uh, and there's so much more that hasn't been written yet that is going to be a part of your story. And we find ourselves in the middle. Lots of times, um, I also find myself, um, I recognize that I haven't done well throughout my entire story. Thinking about Mordecai being quiet about his faith uh, has caused me to think that I'm often quiet about my faith. I, Evelyn suggested I get a haircut before I get filmed today. So I went to the barbershop and uh, he, Robert is cutting my hair and I realized I didn't want to talk to him about Jesus. It would just be so much easier for me not to. Uh, but, you know, I got to preach in the mirror as well. And it's like, see, so you want to bury your faith? You don't want Robert to know this is a part of your life. Well, I ended up finally saying something, and we must have talked back and forth about Jesus and the kingdom of God for more than a half hour. 
uh, and you wouldn't think I had that much hair, but uh, it happened, and it was really it was really a good thing. So maybe in your story, you're not someone who talks about your relationship with God, especially with people you don't know that well. Maybe you don't want to do that at work or in the neighborhood or on the softball team or uh, whatever it may be. It's, it's become almost natural for us not to discuss faith, and uh, and sometimes, as Mordecai actually hid his relationship with God, it could be said that we put that basket over the lamp and that we're not people who really share our faith either. either. So uh, it's, what, it's been helpful for me to just think about, so where is Mordecai in his life? Where is he? in his own story, and where am I? Where are you? Uh, it was also helpful for me to think about, just, I, just because maybe for days, weeks, months, years of my life, uh, one thing may have been true about me. It doesn't necessarily mean that that has to continue that you have causality. I have causality, not unlimited, but we can change who we are. We can change our behaviors. And generally, we change our behaviors in the light of who we love. It's also was very interesting for me to think about in this story, um, the intersection of Providence and choice. So providence is God doing what he wants. Human history happening the way God chooses for it to happen. When we say God is sovereign, we'd say he's God all by himself. He, nobody can thwart his will. He's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. At the same time, this sovereign Lord doesn't make one of us in this room do anything. That we make choices. And he makes known to us what his will is for us in our choices, but we are free to make those choices. We don't have unlimited choices. I mean, I could choose to play for the Detroit Red Wings, but it's not going to happen. But I do have choices. I can choose whether or not to watch them. Uh, I could choose for the Tigers to be a good baseball team, but just because I choose that doesn't mean they're going to be. However, I, there's so many things I can choose. So there's things in Mordecai's life he can't change. He is not an important person in his community. And he is subject to a ruler who's absolutely not a great guy. You and I may feel, oh, I could really be a wonderful follower of Jesus if only I lived in a different environment. If only I didn't have the job I have. If only I wasn't married to the person I'm married to. 
Lonely, I was part of a better church than Life Livonia. You know, then they'd probably kick me out, but then uh, I could really uh, blossom. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it's human nature for us to think that way, but it's, uh, it's really not true. Each of us are invited to make choices in our life. You know, sometimes it's hard to comprehend God. And I read an article by Phil Yancey one time called The Chess Master. And he talked about being in a big hotel out in the lobby. And there, were, there was a guy who was playing 40 people chess. He stood in the middle of a square of tables, and there were 10 people on the outside of each table, and he would just go from one board to the other. And each person was free to make any move they wanted to make, as long as it was a legal chess move. And the chess master would make his move based on the moves that were made. And when all was said and done, he beat all 40 people. Uh, to me, it's an interesting way to think about God, that he sets up a board before you and I and says, your move, knock yourself out. And our God is so sovereign that he can allow us to make whatever moves we choose to make on our board and he can still accomplish his will. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's very obvious in this story about Esther and Mordecai. So Mordecai, um, uh, well, let me back up a bit. So, so Esther now has been chosen to be queen. It's, it, it's, uh, it's an awful thing, really, that has come about, and you've heard about it in weeks past. Queen Vashti said no to King Xerxes, and uh, she is no longer queen. And all the young women that the king can be aware of are invited to come and try out to see if they could be queen, to be a part of uh, the king's harem. And really, nobody can do anything about it. Nobody really has any say about it. Esther doesn't have any say. Mordecai doesn't have any say. This is something they have to live with. And we see that they, they are living with it and moving on in life. But since Esther has been brought to the palace, Mordecai has decided that his vocation is to be at the king's gate. Why? Well, because he has Esther in his heart. And Esther has him in his heart. So any occasion where Mordecai can see Esther, he's going to do it. And uh, anyway, Esther can come see the man who has become her father, she's going to do it. Uh, being at the king's gate, Mordecai becomes aware of a plot 
to assassinate the king. And uh, this is a game-changing moment in Mordecai's life. You and I will have them, whether we're fully aware of them or not. There are moments in your life and mine that are um, opportunities to, uh, to change the direction of our life. On the one hand, Mordecai might say, now why should I care about whether or not they're trying to take out this king? He's nobody to me, and he's done awful things to my family and other people's family. Uh, this is not my problem. This is not my business. Yeah, but what about Esther? She, she's his queen. She cares for him. Uh, if she's going to care for him, I guess I'm going to care for him. And I got to let somebody know. I, I, it may put me at risk. It, it may be an act of love for somebody I don't love. But Esther I love. And uh, for Esther, I'm going to look after her king's best interest. So Mordecai pours out to Esther this information that he has discovered uh, for an attempted assassination of the king. And uh, she tells King Xerxes, and she attributes it to her dad, Mordecai. And uh, the king has it investigated, finds out that it's true, and uh, takes the lives of these potential uh, assassins, actually publicly impales them in case anybody was thinking it's a good idea to try to take out the king. Uh, this is what you can come to expect. But a funny thing happens to Mordecai in the doing of this. Something, there's been a disturbance in the force. And Mordecai no longer wants to be quiet about his faith. Mordecai's no longer afraid. Something, it's amazing sometimes what an act of obedience can do in your life or mine. What an act of love or courage. Man, I could have been, you know, driving on uh, neutral for 10 years of my life, but bam, something happens and the Spirit of God happens. And there's an opportunity to, to be new, to be different. I really think something happened to Mordecai by uh, stepping out of his cocoon, stepping out of his safe place, loving somebody, caring for somebody, doing something that took courage and took compassion for somebody else. An act of kindness toward a neighbor uh, 
It can help you see the face of God for yourself as well as for anybody else. So now uh, we have Haman who presents himself to the king and says, you know, if you got people who are trying to take you out, you need an enforcer. And that should be me. I would like it to be my business to look after, to watch your back, to look after your best interests. Make me your lieutenant. Make me your man. And I will see to it that no threat will come near you. And the king thinks this is a great idea. It gives him more time to, uh, to party and do other important things of state and to take advantage of people who can't say no to him. So um, he makes Haman the most powerful person in the land. So you could say that Haman may be the second most powerful person in the world, next to Xerxes. And Xerxes really doesn't show himself to be all that smart, doesn't show himself to be all that ambitious. So in some ways, if Haman has an agenda, he may have the power to bring about his agenda uh, that's greater than anybody else in the world. And Haman's power is felt to such a degree that when he walks into the castle, everybody, no matter what they're doing, crashes to their knees. And uh, Mordecai continues to be at the gate because Esther's in the palace. And he's like, you know what? I am not going to bow to Haman. I bow to God. And uh, Mordecai refuses to crash to his knees when Haman enters the room. This is a big step for Mordecai. It might be a big step for you or me if uh, it was a little step today talking to my barber about my faith. He actually asked me, he goes, what you getting your hair cut for? Anything special? And it took me 10 minutes before I told him, yeah, I'm going to preach and it's going to be filmed this afternoon. And so Evelyn said I shouldn't look so raggedy. Uh, but it took me a while to get there and I wasn't sure I was going to get there. But at some point, we get there and Mordecai is there now. And so every day when Haman comes in, everybody kneels but Mordecai. And people are saying to Haman, hey, have you noticed there's a guy who doesn't bow to you? Who is he? It's Mordecai. Haman goes to Mordecai, insisting that he acknowledge his deity, so to speak. And Mordecai's like, not going to do it. Not going to do it, no. And let me tell you, if there's one word an addict can't stand, and it doesn't matter if he wears a crown like Xerxes or he's just really out there like Haman, they do not like to hear that no word. And so ultimately, 
Haman says, you know what? I'm not only going to kill you. I'm going to kill any family you have. I'm going to kill all your ancestors. I'm going to kill every Jew across the face of this earth. And uh, Haman comes to Xerxes and says, you know, there's a people who don't bow. And they're a threat to you. And you gave me my position to eliminate all threats to you. So, oh, king, how about if I just give you a big pile of money and you pass a law that says we can take all these people out, just execute them all throughout the land. King Xerxes, being the moral giant that he is, says, okay, sounds all right. And uh, so this is where, this is what happens as a result of Mordecai uh, standing up for his faith. And uh, I, I put this in a category, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, lots of times we're like, if I do this, I could, there could be a chain reaction of events that are really awful. Uh, the Good Samaritan story is like that. You know, if that Good Samaritan stops to give this guy a drink of water, it's like giving a mouse a cookie. You know, if he stops, he can't just give him a drink and not tend his wounds. He can't just tend his wounds and leave him there. He can't just uh, ride his donkey when this man has no way to get in the town. And he's going to have to pay his hotel bill and write, you know, leave his credit card. It's, it, there's no end to consequences of doing the right thing. But something has happened, and I think this chess game where Providence is stepping in, uh, it, it has been said that Haman is a direct descendant of Amalekites who uh, were antagonistic to uh, the Jews as they entered into the Promised Land. And there's a, uh, a war that goes on from one generation to another to another. So this is where we uh, end in today's story and you'll have to come to church more weeks in a row to hear where this all goes but the thing that really stands out to me is you and i are living in the middle of our story and and and, and too often we think too much about and they lived happily ever after we we want to get to that last line but when you get to that last line your story's over and what the part that matters most in your story and mine today is today and in the middle of our story we need to learn to listen to god not be afraid and uh and stand up for who Jesus has called us to be. That's what I got for today. Thank you.